Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's the Pledge Drive, of course, and during Pledge Drive, we do Best of Access Utah. Today, we're highlighting episodes where we let our hair down, have a little bit of fun. You have to every once in a while. You got serious politics and uh, and some uh, some deep ideas, uh, and uh, every once in a while, we just have some fun. Often on those programs. Uh, we have with us Lynn McNeil, assistant professor of English in the folklore program, and she is with us today. We also have uh, Ted Twinting, development officer here. Uh, we are going to uh, reach back in the archives and hear excerpts from three programs. One program, very interesting program, a uh, study um, uh, put out that said that we uh, more and more of us are losing connections with our lives in order to earn likes and social media praise. We have in sense turned into social media trophy hunters. We'll talk about that and uh, hear from David Maxfield and Lynn McNeil. Uh, we also are reaching in the archives and bringing back our program from Valentine's Day of this year, which we talked about is, are you cynical about Valentine's Day or are you romantic about it? And we have had on a writer from San Francisco who wrote a piece in Medium.com in which he moved from one poll to the other. It's titled, I love Valentine's Day because I love her. Thoughts on perspective, cynicism, and the woman who changed my life. We have some uh, calls as well. And uh, finally, uh, today we are going to hear an excerpt from an episode uh, in our series, Our Favorite Books, in which we uh, jump into the world of Jane Austen. And we hear from USU English professors uh, Brian McCuskey and Maddie Burkert. Those are the programs uh, coming up. So uh, briefly, folks, uh, Ted uh, Twinting, um, of course, it's the Pledge Drive. We have some great uh, stuff for listeners, especially today is Chaz Day, College of Humanities and Social Sciences. And by calling 800-826-1495, you can get yourself a pretty sleek notebook. It's a Danique notebook with the CHAS logo, and that's College of Humanities, Arts, and Social Science. Oh, sorry, College of... I graduated from Hass, so I, I've had to I've had to adjust the College of Humanities and Social Science. Excuse me, and we have two different options you can choose from. One I think is pretty cool with Old Main on it. You also get a Chas pen and a Chas pin, and that's available for any donation above sixty dollars. Eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. And we should note that if you're listening in the evening, these might be gone. Or maybe not. You'll just have to, to, to check in. Uh, anyway, the and uh, if you're listening in the evening, the place to go is upr.org, upr.org. Right now it's 800-826-1495. So, uh, Lynn McNeil, uh, it's, it's always fun to have you in studio. Oh, thank you. Uh, but you're also a listener and a supporter. Oh, absolutely. I've been a listener and a supporter since I was a student here in the 1990s. That seems longer ago than it should be. <laughs> <laughs> right. What? Uh, so a student, what made you fork over some of your uh, very meager, I, I would assume, uh, resources at that time to public radio? Um, well, I moved here from Northern California, where I was born and raised and where I did my undergraduate work. And I was immediately taken by the sense of community here in Logan, Utah. It was, I had a great hometown. I loved it there. But what I found here was something really, truly, genuinely different. Um, a small town feel, but with a view to the larger world. And that was encapsulated by Utah Public Radio. It was just a match made in heaven for me. It's been my, where my dial's been set ever since. I even listened to it when I lived out of state and out of country. And the place to support, uh, the way to support this, uh, just a couple of minutes out of your day, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. You can also go to upr.org if you're listening in the evening. That's the place to go, upr.org. And I just want to say also we have some great volunteers waiting to take your call. We have Mark Hirschfield and uh, Janelle Madsen from Conservice uh, ready to just take your call. It's a pretty quick, easy, painless process, and pick up that really cool chess notebook, 800-826-1495. Can I just add that these notebooks are really, really beautiful? <laughs> I'm a notebook snob. I love notebooks. And these are gorgeous and soft. And, you know, if you're a notebook fan out there in the world, it's just the kind of thing you want to slip in your bag and carry around and jot down ideas with. Get them before they're gone. And one of the cool things about that is the individual who make these, uh, the Danique notebooks, Tyler Tolson, is actually a graduate of Chass. And so it's a, it's a sort of a total celebration, top to bottom, of Chass. 800-826-1495. And while supplies last, we should, uh, we should <laughs> emphasize there, there's a limited number of these, so get in quick. 800-826-1495, upr.org. Let's jump into our first uh, segment. And Lynn, you were involved in this segment. I was. Likes versus likes. And this is something I'm, I'm sure you're probably studying in digital folklore. Uh, the, yes. The fact that we're kind of 
filtering our lives through our digital devices these days. It's true. And I, I like to envision a world that we will grow into sooner rather than later where it's not an either or proposition where we can have likes and life. That's something that I think some of us manage, maybe not all the time these days, but we are we are getting there. Uh, so, Ted. I'd like to thank David Clark for calling in 800-826-1495 and pledging his support. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're pledging your support to Utah Public Radio. You're pledging your support specifically to Access Utah. And uh, I, I, I'm i giving a personal thank you since I'm <laughs> I'm involved with Access Utah um, and uh, really appreciate that. It takes uh, quite a few resources to put on the program. We have to bear those uh, costs directly here at Utah Public Radio because it's a local program, not national. But we try to match up with what you want, and uh, you can tell us, hey, I want more of this, I want more of that, I want less of this. Your comment uh, carries great weight as well. Well, let's jump in here. This is a, an episode from July of this year, uh, Likes versus Life. A new study by Joseph Grenny and David Maxfield um, uh, talked about how uh, some people are, are turning into social media trophy hunters. So we gave some examples. Uh, David Maxfield was on the phone. Lynn McNeil was in studio. And uh, here's an excerpt from that program. David Maxwell, I wonder if you could uh, talk a little bit more about this distancing effect that sometimes happens. I'll I'll read this anecdote from the study. Uh, Trying to capture and post my daughter's dance event, I completely missed it. She asked me, did you see me? I really didn't. It was awful, she says. And you've, you told us about what your wife said, right? You were, you were capturing your, uh, your nephews at the beach and uh, trying to be helpful, right? Helpful uncle. But your wife said, hey, you'd enjoy this more if you put the camera down. Yeah, and and there's no reason that it has to be either or, right? I mean, I think one of the suggestions that we give people is go ahead and take the picture, then put the camera away and go have fun. (laughs) It's sometimes the need to get the the like or get the posting or share the information. It's a legitimate desire. There's nothing wrong with that desire. I, I encourage it. It's just don't let it suck up your entire time. Um, David Maxwell, I'll start again with you on this one. Uh, that that disconnect, you know, we we've all seen the, you know, scenes in movies or you know, it's kind of the parodies of the dance recital, and the parents are watching in a way, but they're watching through the screen with, that they're recording this with, and that, so there's there's a distancing there. It's, it's I don't know. A lot of us would say that's not really yeah. not really experiencing the recital. Well, and sometimes it's changing the experience itself. So one of the anecdotes was a a 12-year-old nephew was having a great time tearing off wrapping paper to play with each of his new toy cars. His parents made him move to the next one, quote, so we can post it for the family. (laughs) My nephew got so frustrated he left the room crying, and his parents blamed each other for his difficult behavior. (laughs) (laughs) So trying to make your kids open the the. Christmas presents or birthday presents in the perfect way to get the perfect picture uh, makes it so the kid doesn't enjoy getting his presents. Mm. Now, what about uh, consumption? I'll, I'll go to you first, uh, Lynn McNeil, on this one. There, here's another anecdote from the study from Vital Smarts. Um, this is uh, this really touched me, um, struck me. While on maternity leave, this woman says, I used my smartphone to look at Facebook while nursing my newborn son. I wish I'd have paid more attention to him during these moments because I know he was looking at me while I was looking at my phone. Yeah, this is this is an interesting phenomenon that we tend to beat ourselves up, beat ourselves up for our use of social media and it goes there are a lot of different ways to look at this. I think that yes, absolutely we can put our phones down and we can engage more deeply in what we're doing, though I think it's also even just in a being nice to ourselves sort of way important to remember that pre-cell phones, I'm sure there were a lot of moms who, while nursing their babies, sharing this wonderful moment with their brand new life that they just brought into the world, were reading a newspaper or People magazine or zoning out on daytime television because you're exhausted when you're a new mom and you Mm -hmm. want a break. And I think that that's also legitimate. I think that in a way, a lot of that idealized life that we see on social media and motherhood is not immune to that. The world of mommy blogs is a competitive, vicious place. Mm. There, I had a student once write a virtual ethnography of um, 
breastfeeding versus bottle feeding web forums. And I have almost never seen such vicious personal attacks Mm. as you see in this environment of new mothers, which is very heartbreaking. But we tend to to get this impression through the social media that different aspects of life should look different ways. New motherhood should look like this. New marriage should look like this. Childhood should look like this. Retirement should look like this. Education should look like this. And in reality, one, it doesn't. And two, it doesn't need to necessarily. And the issues are less with the things around us and more with us getting back in touch with what we actually want to be doing. I think beating yourself up for not gazing into your baby's eyes 24-7 is not necessary. Mm-hmm. Neither is being on your phone 24-7. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a happy medium in there somewhere. And picking apart, not where the blame lies, that's even maybe too harsh a way to put it, but but who's in charge of what is is really key when and i think it's i think it's too easy and out to always blame the technology because it lets us off the hook for the choices that we're making that we could very easily be making with non-technological things as well mm-hmm. hmm. looks like we have a, a call coming in we'll go to our color uh steve from beaver dam uh, has uh, called us uh, steve uh, glad you called go ahead with your question or comment yes sir i'm sorry to have to lob in this this comment at the end of the show, I meant to email it to you, but my email's not working. Oh, okay. and, uh, if you'll indulge me, it's, it's, about a, it's about a 30 second observation about FOMO and getting older. Okay. So here it is. Um, your conversation this morning is making me feel good that I am older. I am, a ba- I am a baby boomer, thus in my mid-60s, no longer suffering much from FOMO. I also feel a little needed this age to impress my Facebook friends with how fabulous my life is. It ain't fabulous, but it's good. And so my usual expressions on Facebook fall into these categories. One, exhortations to do something. Write a congressman about a certain issue or take note of something interesting in the world. The solar eclipse is a good example of the latter. Two, celebration, and perhaps a little bragging, about a minor accomplishment like baking a pie or setting a mean table. And three, travel photos. Very often these are skiing sojourns, and I do like to share the splendid beauty of wherever I am, but it ain't fabulous by any means. Seems there are some advantages in getting older. Very good, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Pre- Appreciate that. That's uh, Steve in Beaverdam, uh, Arizona. Let me go first to David Maxfield, uh, your response to that. I guess there, you know, there's generational differences in how we use uh, social media. Steve is not prone, he says, to FOMO. Yeah, well, he sounds like someone who's very comfortable in his own skin. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the advantages of, of having a, a strong sense of personal uh, sense of who you are. Now, one of the challenges in social media is sometimes it can blur the line between uh, who you are and who other people, um, whether, whether self-validation is enough or whether you need the validation of your online community to feel comfortable. Um, and and I, would, I would hope that each of us has a strong enough sense of self and self-awareness uh, to to avoid that problem, but I know that some some have issues with that. Mm-hmm. We just have about a, a minute and a half left, so uh, 30 seconds. I'll start with Lynn McNeil. Uh, your couple pieces of advice for us. One piece of advice that I regularly give my students, and it's, it's maybe an imperfect comparison, but it has worked for us for several semesters now, is a thing that I call the magazine test where when we ask these questions of is this a rude or dangerous or inappropriate time to be on social media, I have them ask themselves, would it be weird or inappropriate or rude or dangerous to be flipping through a magazine right now? Because somehow our our phone, that device, has a different status. And so, you know, we talk about you're at a dinner table out to eat with all of your friends and someone's telling a story. If you just reached into your bag and pulled out a magazine and started flipping through it, that would just be the height of rudeness. You would never do that. Don't reach for your phone. If you were driving a car, you would not pull out a magazine and start reading it while speeding down the highway. Don't pull out your car. But if you were with a friend at a cafe and she said, hey, when's that you know, movie that we're going to go see showing this afternoon, and you pulled out a newspaper to look up movie times, totally pro-social use of that appropriate time to pull out your phone. Mm -hmm. So it's a little shortcut that sort of helps highlight the absurdity of things where we're not so certain what's absurd anymore Mm -hmm. right now. David Maxwell, 30 seconds here, one or two pieces of advice for people. So first I'll echo Lynn and say, yeah, what would a 
what would a reasonable third party think of you if they saw you doing what you're doing right now? Would they think that was reasonable or not? But let me move to the second one, which is we call it snap, look, and listen. So go ahead, take the picture, do it, um, but then stop and allow yourself to be absorbed in, in the actual experience itself. So, so get your, your like out of the way and then live your life. Turned up over there. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Tom Williams. That's just an excerpt from uh, an episode from July. Likes versus life, and that featured David Maxfield and uh, Lynn McNeil. We have Lynn McNeil with us uh, in studio, along with Development Officer uh, Ted uh, Twinting. So, I don't know any any updates to that discussion, Lynn McNeil. You know, I think that the the main thing that I always come back to when I think about this question is that we don't want, or at least I don't want, to oversell the role that technology plays in all of this because it's too easy to set aside our own responsibility in matters like this. We can look at our technology and say, this technology has done this to us. It's made us these trophy hunters. It's disconnecting us from other people. And of course, the reality of the situation is that's entirely in our hands, how we feel we are at the mercy of this technology, and we are not. This technology is at the mercy of us. We wanted ways to minimize our time on technology and we've developed apps that give us little reminders hey you've spent 30 minutes on your tablet today hey you've spent an hour on your tablet today and those tools are there to help us help ourselves and so i think that remembering that we are the ones in charge the technology is not in charge is really the way to approach all of this and it's easy to not scrutinize what you want. It's easy to go for the the quick fulfillment of lots of likes or lots of postings. I know this vacation was good because I posted 800 pictures. <laughs> um, and I think it's on us to rectify that situation, to find a better balance. And a big part of that is recognizing that it's us creating that imbalance, not mm. not the tools themselves. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's it, uh, My weakness is productivity tool software. Oh, yes. I can go down a rabbit hole and spend all day <laughs> sampling productivity, <laughs> to, which, of course, is ironic because I get nothing else done. I am uh, right there with you. <laughs> so, so I have to be careful. It's up to me, yeah. right? It's up I've, to me. I've always been a day planner user. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could spend hundreds of dollars and many, many hours just setting up a new planner, not yeah. using it right, right. to be organized or productive just filling it out well that's yeah. the joy of setting it up exactly it's, using it you actually have oh, to exercise yeah. discipline and that's hard <laughs> not as good that's yeah. why you start it with that's, make a list <laughs> make a list that's first right first item on every list that's right yep. make and a then list, you get yeah. to check that exactly off. just right off the bat it's the yeah. best feeling <laughs> and maybe you have on your list supporting utah public radio i hope so give Absolutely. us a call right now 800-826-1495 and it is chaste and so you can get a special Chass notebook. They're pretty great, made by Chass graduates. Um, it says, think, discover, create on the cover. And they are really something special. And that's on top of all the other great thank you gifts we have. Um, if you're listening in the evening, upr.org is the place to go. But right now, give us a call if you're listening in the morning to and speak to either Mark Hirschfield or Janelle Madsen. And they're ready and willing to take your pledge. 800-826-1495. And uh, we've had uh, we've had a pledge uh, during this hour. Thank you so much. We want to keep that momentum going uh, to stay on track uh, for our goals for the fund drive. And specifically, I'm looking for uh, pledges in support of Access Utah to tell us it's a, it's it, what you call this hour. It's a vote in support of of this program. And this program really bridges the the overall goals, at least that I see, of public radio, which is connecting us to the world at large and connecting us to our local community. Access Utah is where I get to hear voices of people who live in my community, who work where I work, who have the same concerns that I have. And that opportunity to communicate with each other and reach a broad audience that UPR allows for is just undeniably wonderful. And Lynn, one thing that I think is great is it takes your community from, I mean, for me, I live in Logan personally, and I consider Cache Valley very much my community. But then we get to hear from people in Vernal and Moab and St. George and Torrey Teasdale and Beaver Dam and Soda Springs and all over. And it, it just, just adds this great interconnectedness within our entire state and creates a beautiful community that is just just full of different opinions. And people argue on Access Utah in a very a respectful way. Um, and those are the programs that I'm on the edge of my seat. And I, I love hearing the debates that come out on Access Utah. Yeah, some of the most impactful are when we just open the phone lines after a big event, you know, like Charlottesville or Orlando is particularly poignant. Um, 
the election, which was just, you know, part of, part of the uh, nation was in shock and the other part jubilant. Uh, another part jubilant. I, I don't want to say half and half. Because I got, <laughs> uh, Stephen Beaverdam took me to task on that. So uh, t- to you, Steve, it's not half and half. I, I do recognize that. That's but, an excellent. But, but to, to, to be able to um, express your your feelings. Well, and that Stephen Beaverdam can take you to task for that is a wonderful thing, that sense that people from all over the state can call in, can email, can tweet to Access Utah and have their perspectives and their voices shared on the air and join in that conversation. I often find I'm not a phone caller. I guess I'm young enough that that's not my technology, (laughs) but I often tweet to Access Utah and whether it makes it on the air or whether I get a tweet back later on, I feel like in a very small way, I've joined in with that conversation as well. And I find that our listeners are, are very um, educated. It's, it's, it fits the profile of public radio, and they really uh, tend to move the conversation forward in a, in a wonderful way, often taking us in, in uh, directions I hadn't even thought about. You know, Tom, one comment, because one thing that people may not know is when you donate, you're actually able to make comments and leave comments, and we read those, and we pour over those, and we think about them. And one that just absolutely made me feel incredible because I do the exact same thing as somebody said, that when they're driving around, they like to pretend like they are the interviewer and That's ask right. the questions. Right. And I 100% do the same thing on the radio, talk back to the radio, like, yeah. no, Tom, ask them this. Right, and then right. Tom asked that question, and yeah. it's this amazing, amazing moment. I, I love Access Utah, and it's a real treat to be here. And if I'm not asking that question, you have the opportunity to email in <laughs> and ask or call in and ask that question. Uh, so this is Radio Worth Supporting. We hope you agree. And uh, the way to, to support that is 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. If you're listening in the evening, the better place to go is upr.org, upr.org. Org. And uh, Ted, we have these uh, these notebooks while supplies last. Yeah, we have a limited number. There's only about 13 left, you know, and I would like to see all those disappear during Access Utah. They're Danique notebooks, and they're made by Chass graduate Tyler Tolson. And again, there are two of them. Um, we have one that's a beautiful sort of blue marble that says Think, Discover, Create. And another one that has this beautiful sort of alabaster white with a blue uh, old main that says Think, Discover, Create. And, uh, you know, I w- first thing I would do, open it up, say, make a list, check that <laughs> off, and then write... Pledge my support to Access Utah. Mm. And then the check things, that one off. And then check that one off. Right. And that's only for $5 a month. $5 wow. a month. And on top of that, you also get the 2018 Utah Public Radio Art Calendar. So that's 12 months of art by your fellow public radio listeners. And you can hang it up in your office, hang it up in your home, hang it up in your shed, wherever you want to put it. And, and enjoy uh, the things that your fellow public radio listeners create and love every single day. Ted, am I right in thinking that in addition to a notebook, there is a pen and a pin involved? A pen and a pin. That is very exciting. (laughs) This is these. I can't get over how beautiful these notebooks are. They're they're smooth on the front. They they Mm. they they hold in your hand, Mm -hmm. right? Which which if you get notebooks, that that's that's a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's an option for you. Um, and we hope that you'll uh, take advantage of that. Another option we're uh, we're offering uh, for new subscribers to the New York Times. So apparently this would not uh, would, would not involve you, Lynn, because you're already a subscriber. But I want to have you talk a little bit about this. Uh, uh, $20 a month, $240 for the year if you're a new subscriber to the New York Times. You can have the money come to UPR, and you can get a year's digital subscription to the New York Times. It has been such a wonderful thing being a New York Times subscriber. I subscribe to the digital edition. I get the Sunday paper. It, It's actually a really nice way to, to reconnect with that sense of the tangibility of the news to actually, I mean, for me, the Sunday paper can last all week. It's, mm-hmm. it's big, it's thick, it's heavy. And when I need the breaking news, I can go online. I can get the headlines from the digital edition just as well. That is an amazing benefit to a pledge to Utah Public Radio. So the place to, to get that, well, let me have you, uh, Lynn, give the number. It's, uh, right the number, here. indeed. Uh, Tom is pointing you've, to it here but you've as got though it. I don't you've know got it. <laughs> off the top I'm of very sorry. Head. I'm very sorry. Of course you know it. 1-800-826-1495, or if you're listening in the evenings, upr.org. Thank you. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to um, get a little sentimental. Uh, or not. We had a program on Valentine's Day talking about, uh, are, are you cynical? Is this a hard day for you? Or is it a, a wonderful uh, romantic day for you? And we had with us um, a writer who uh, penned a very nice piece on Medium.com where he he uh, runs the whole gamut. He went from one poll to the other. The, the article is titled, I love Valentine's Day because I love her. We'll hear an excerpt from that program following this break. 
Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the 9th Annual Zion Canyon Music Festival, September 29th and 30th, under the cliffs of Zion National Park. Live continuous music, food booths, and a kid zone. More at ZionCanyonMusicFestival.com. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau, showcasing outdoor access to the National Forest for hiking, fishing, and camping. Information on trails, campsites, and more is available online at explorelogan.com. I'm John Kovash, Utah Public Radio correspondent for Moab and Southeast Utah. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for stories for any of us at the station, please visit our website at upr.org or call 1-800-826-1495. You can also share your ideas with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Be sure to include the hashtag IMUPR. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Access Utah's The Best of Access Utah during the Pledge Drive, and we have uh, some excerpts from some of our favorite programs. We heard Likes versus Live previously coming up. Uh, at the end of the program, we'll hear um, an excerpt from uh, uh, part of our series, Our Favorite Books, and this one uh, deals with Jane Austen. Uh, that's one of the joys of this program. Um, sometimes I get to just do a deep dive into my favorite uh, things. And so Jane Austen is one of my favorite uh, authors. And, and we got to uh, hear some clips from films and, uh, and have a discussion with Brian McCuskey and Maddie Burkert. Um, coming up next, we're going to hear uh, our program from Valentine's Day. And uh, we asked you at that time, is Valentine's Day an artificially constructed minefield of expectations or a welcome opportunity to celebrate your romance? And we heard from a gentleman uh, who wrote a piece in, the, in medium.com where he went from one end to the other, and it's titled, I Love Valentine's Day Because I Love Her. And we hear some calls uh, in this uh, this uh, segment, which, uh, which which are nice to hear from listeners. Uh, the way to support this, before we jump into this, is 800-826-1495. Supporting Access Utah. Hope that you'll do that this hour. It's your vote in, in favor of this kind of programming. 800-826-1495 or upr.org, especially if you're listening in the evening. That's the place to go, upr.org. Let's hear this now, excerpt from our Valentine's Day program. And we have a uh, caller, I believe uh, Gail from Brookside joins us. Uh, Gail, uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Thank you. Um, actually, I just wanted to say that I feel like I'm probably the luckiest person ever I've been married 33 years. Um, I'm 53 years old, and um, I just have married my best friend, and I just want him to know how much I love him. What, what's his What's his name? John Wilson. John. Okay. You've been married, did you say, for 33 years? We've been married for 33 years. We have wow. three grown kids and three grandchildren. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. uh, happy Valentine's Day to to uh, to John from from Gal. What what's what what's your tradition? I guess it kind of changes whether or not you have kids in the house, right? <laughs> um, you know, here's the good thing about us: we don't really get caught up on trying to do too much, so we just take it as it goes. We'll probably go out to dinner or something on the weekend. <laughs> We both have to work, so it probably won't be today. Yeah. Okay. But and you said you said a phrase that I uh, that I hear sometimes. I I feel this way in my marriage. Uh, you married your best friend. Um, that's that's important, isn't it? It really is. Um, it's it's hard to it's it's not to say. I'm not trying to say it was easy because we were young and but um, we've done great. And he is my best friend, and he's taught me so much, and he's never. The biggest thing is he's never compared me to anybody or anyone to me. We just are together and take it day to day and, you know, just love our family. And, and we have great kids and great grandkids. So it's, I mean, it, it's worked. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and uh, thank you. very happy Valentine's Day to, to you and John. Well, thank you. And if John's listening, I love you, John. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I hope John is listening. Um, yeah, thanks. For, thanks for that. Um, uh, so, so Dan Moore, um, that, that's you do hear that phrase, you know, married my best friend. I guess whether whether you, yeah. you were, had the friendship before, definitely need to develop that after, if not before. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's probably you know the most important thing. Um. You know, in my mind. 
um, because it, you know, this is the, the person that you're going to be spending by far the most amount of time with, you know, of anybody else in your life. Um, so you better like that person, right? Uh, and I think that, you know, having that nurturing, that feeling of, okay, this person's my best friend. Um, you know, that, uh, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. That's who you want to spend the rest of your life with is your best friend. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the popular culture kind of cuts against that, gives gives people false expectations. You know, the, the rom-coms and, and such. Um, yeah, the rom-coms are definitely, <laughs> they deserve, uh, I think that they probably create these false expectations, uh, you know, for for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I guess, if and I, I think a lot of people, young people included, are clear-eyed uh, about it. Hopefully, um, but you kind of have to counteract. It's, it's nice to see uh, another person's romance, uh, it, which leaves out, uh, you know, a lot of the work, I suppose. <laughs> but then you have to realize you have to right. do, you have to do that work in your own relationship. Well, I mean, it, it's like you said earlier. I mean, there's a reason that all rom-coms, you know, usually end at. Uh, either the wedding or the point of realization that, you know, the guy loves the girl and has to get her back, uh, that makes for better drama. Um, but so much of it, as you alluded to earlier, uh, so much of the important stuff happens after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it happens in the work you put in and maintaining and nurturing your relationship. Um, and it happens in the choices that you make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just as you choose to, uh, commit to someone and you choose to um, overlook the petty stuff that might happen between you, uh, you know, you, it's, it's all a big choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's definitely one thing that I've learned through, through Alex um, is that, you know, while the, the love at first sight thing, it, it definitely does exist that everything that matters really happens after that as rose said so well love is not easy it's a daily choice made by two people but it sure is fun i love how rose right i like uh, that that. uh by the way um dan do you do you have your your piece in front of you the the piece from medium.com or or if you don't i wonder if you could pull that up yeah i i i i I, I do have it up okay Uh, i want to read this next email and then i want to have you read the last paragraph which is uh, a beautiful paragraph from the from your piece. Uh, so this is from April okay. in St. George, uh, who says, Hi, Tom. This Valentine's Day, I will be treating myself to something special. Since I'm not dating anyone right now, I've decided to buy myself something fun. I haven't made up my mind yet on what it will be, but it will probably be expensive. <laughs> but w- Way to go, April. I'm not necessarily against the holiday. I'm just taking the opportunity to spend some money on myself since no one else is going to this year. Happy Valentine's Day, Tom. It's always great to listen to Access Utah. Thanks. That's April in St. George. And April, I hope you have a great uh, a great Valentine's Day. It's It can, Dan, it can be can be problematic uh, uh, Valentine's Day for a person who's not dating someone, person who's single, um, because the whole culture sort of you know hits pause on that day, and uh, and then it's in bolder relief that, that that you're not you're not in a relationship. Yeah, no, I I I, I agree 100. Um, percent But I admire so much um, you know, what the writer of that email no, said April. in that mm-hmm. she in April that, that, you know, she's making a choice to, um, use this as an opportunity to appreciate herself. I mean, I, I love that. And I think when it comes to these occasions like Valentine's day or, um, maybe mother's day or father's day, or even, you know, Christmas or Thanksgiving, you, you have a choice of what aspects of it to focus on. Mm. Um, and Valentine's day is, there's a particular pressure, I think, to, you know, have a, a, a significant other in your life that you're appreciating. But I think that that uh, April's example is a, a a great way of of choosing your mindset and you know and and determining your own happiness. If you just joined us, we are uh, talking with Dan Moore, San Francisco-based writer. His recent piece of Medium.com is titled "I Love Valentine's Day Because I Love Her." Uh, so now I'd like to have you read the the last paragraph of your piece, if you would. Sure thing. But Alex has also taught me certain things about myself, and it's this I appreciate most. She's taught me how to think more consciously, more empathetically. 
She's taught me about the importance of perspective, of not succumbing to cynicism. Moreover, she's taught me that one chooses which version of a thing they ultimately give credence to. In Valentine's Day, for example, one chooses whether to see a cheap, contrived corporate holiday or an opportunity to live the sentiment expressed by the martyrdom of the holiday's namesake 1,700 years ago. Because of Alex, I'll choose the story of a saint who defied an emperor and died in the name of love every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's profound, isn't it? Um, you say Alex has taught you um, that one chooses which version of a thing they'll ultimately give credence to. That gets to cynicism or no, or sincerity, right? And and you, because right. of Alex, you've you've chosen to to uh, give away cynicism and, and embrace the, I guess, the, the more romantic version of Valentine's Day. Yeah, and I, I, I think, you know, I, I think back to when I was single, um, you know, that so often there are two sides of anything, of a thing. Um, Valentine's Day, it's certainly true that there are two very real aspects of it. There is, you know, this aspect that it's a commercialized holiday that exists purely to create profits for, you know, uh, corporations who produce holiday cards and boxes of chocolate. Um, then there's also this side that is expressed by the sentiment of the real St. Valentine, which is, you know, um, the power and importance of love and uh, how Valentine's Day is an, an opportunity to show the person in your life that you appreciate most just exactly why you appreciate her. And uh, for me personally, Alex has proven to be a catalyst in switching my mindset. Uh, whereas before I was, you know, 100% in the first camp where I was like, oh, this is a silly contrived holiday. Um, and I didn't imagine myself ever uh, being in the mindset where I am now, where it's something I look forward to every year. Hmm. I want to uh, get this in uh, at the end here. Um, this is from a Dear Abby column from February 10th. Uh, this is from Kid at Heart. Writes into Dear Abby, I have never received a romantic Valentine. That's okay with me. With all the sappy movies on TV and the stores blooming in pink and red, we often forget that St. Valentine wasn't the one in love. He was a Roman priest who married Christian couples and was killed for his trouble. My advice to others, particularly singles, is to take a page out of St. Valentine's book and focus not on yourself, but on others. Every year on February 14th, I give everyone I encounter a kitty Valentine. And every year, at least one person is delighted. I've been doing this for at least 20 years, the last 20 years, and my St. Valentine's Days have been happy because of it. It's amazing the difference that focusing on giving rather than receiving can make. That's a kid at heart. Dear Abby responds, I couldn't agree more. Uh, so just wanted to get that uh, in at the end. That's that's a, a great idea. You know, focus outside yourself and you'll you'll always be, be happier. Uh, well, Dan Moore, it's been a pleasure to spend the hour with you, and uh, congratulations to you and Alex uh, engaged in the, the, the weddings in September, you see. Yes, yes, September. Uh, and thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate you being with us, and uh, you can check out uh, many more articles at medium.com. Just uh, to type in Dan Moore. Uh, some some great uh, stuff there. Uh, support his work. Um, and we're going to go out with another uh, rom-com. This is When Harry Met Sally. This is when Harry confesses his love to Sally. Thanks for listening to Access Utah today. I've been doing a lot of thinking, and the thing is, I love you. What? I love you. How do you expect me to respond to this? How about you love me, too? How about I'm leaving? Doesn't what I said mean anything to you? I'm sorry, Harry. I know it's New Year's Eve. I know you're feeling lonely, but you just can't show up here, tell me you love me, and expect that to make everything all right. It doesn't work this way. Well, how does it work? I don't know, but not this way. How about this way? I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees out. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. You see? That is just like you, Harry. You say things like that, and you make it impossible for me to hate you. And I hate you, Harry. 
really hate you. You're listening to Access Utah, and that's an example. Sometimes we uh, use that excuse to play a clip from uh, something. Often, uh, Lynn McNeil, when you, when you're on, will play some Star Trek. We're both <laughs> both big Trekkies. Uh, any excuse. My favorite of all time was when uh, we got the excuse to uh, play some um, some uh, Hamlet in Klingon. Absolutely, the that's, best. That's way, golden right? stuff. That's the golden best stuff. way to hear Shakespeare yes. is in Klingon. Uh, so there's uh, we we talked in that uh, piece about rom coms and how they can sometimes give false expectations, but uh, sometimes in real life it does work out. And so uh, Dan Moore went from one pole to the other. He was cynical about Valentine's Day, and then he met Alex, and uh, now he loves Valentine's Day. And then we had some callers, as you heard, express their feelings. Um, so that's an example, kind of the lighter side is what we're focusing on on the Best of Access Utah today. I have with me uh, Lynn McNeil, uh, Assistant Professor of English in the Folklore Program at USU, and Ted Twenting, Development Officer uh, here at uh, UPR. You know, Tom, you might not think that pledging to public radio is terribly romantic, but it can be. One of the most romantic gestures I ever received from my husband was a day sponsorship on our anniversary. Oh, that's it was wonderful. A surprise. I didn't know about it, but he'd written some very romantic things to say. And it, throughout the day, it kept replaying. I was getting Facebook posts and texts and calls from people who were hearing it. It is, do not underestimate the power of a pledge to public radio as a romantic gesture. Oh, it's wonderful. So a day sponsorship in, in your honor. Mm-hmm, that's absolutely. wonderful. So, Ted, that's an option. Uh, you can you can pledge to Access Utah and to UPR, and then you can do a day sponsorship. It's uh, $365 or a dollar a day. Mm-hmm. And with that, you get... Uh, personal messages to, uh, you know, commemorate a birthday or an anniversary or um, your favorite band somebody has done even. So you get to choose the messaging uh, that gets onto the airwaves. And it's a it's a great way to support public radio because you know that every single day of the year that you have made your contribution, you have made things happen here on UPR. So if UPR is something you rely on, give us a call at 800-826-1495 and Mark Mark Hirschfield or Janelle Madsen will be happy to take your call. You know, I'm happy to say that we did get a pledge in the last uh, break. So oh, thank you. Thank you very much to uh, Justin Barton from Hyde Park. So oh, appreciate that. Excellent. And uh, should uh, for a note, if you're listening in the evening, uh, don't call, but instead to go on our website, upr.org, upr.org. Um, Ted, we also have the, it's, it's Chaz Day on, on uh, UPR, College of Humanities and Social Sciences, and we have some uh, great notebooks. These are Danique notebooks uh, made by Chas graduate Tyler Tolson, and you can choose between the blue or the white. The blue is a wonderful marbled uh notebook that says think discover create the white has old main the symbol of utah state university right on the cover they are they are striking um they're they're lined notebooks and um i can't guess the number of pages but they are sufficient these are mm-hmm. these are beefy notebooks you also can get a chass pen and a chass pin as well to show your support for utah public radio and the college of humanities and social sciences 800-826-1495. Or upr.org, upr.org. Uh, so this is, uh, the, the uh, Lynn McNeil, this is a, a program where uh, I get to have a lot of fun, but I, <laughs> but uh, as, as heard on the programs today, also, you know, weighty matters, we, um, and very important to community matters. We had a, a very interesting, impactful program, I thought, very recently on the Wellsville uh, sham battle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that has been a hot topic in this valley. Which was, I thought was a very good discussion. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that'll be resolved. And um, across the state, too. It's, absolutely. Uh, it's yeah. picked up traction um, in the Salt Lake Tribune and I believe the Deseret News as well. Um, so it's a, it's, it was great to see the conversation start. And Tom, if I'm not mistaken, that started with one of our interns. Yes. Uh, so Alyssa brought that to my attention. I had, uh, I had not been aware of it. I'd, I guess, been living in a cave. And uh, Alyssa said, hey, this has got this Wellsville sham battle. How about we do that? And then she went and uh, got some interesting guests. And uh, so Alyssa and Spencer do some great work. And uh, your support right now to UPR and Access Utah helps support their internships, gives them a great experience. You know, it's great that the entirety of Utah Public Radio is actually held afloat by our student interns. We are deeply integrated with Utah State University. We are providing individuals opportunities, whether in ecology, the College of Humanities and Social Science, or 
or uh, I think we have one in the College of Art as well, um, to turn their degrees, however specific, into mass communication. They're figuring out how to take their message, distill it down, and still be very intelligent, persuasive, and telling but make it applicable and interesting to mass audiences. Um, Lynn, I think that you can speak to the importance of that as well. Absolutely, I can. This is such an incredible opportunity. I think that sometimes we hear these days um, a devaluing of the humanities at times, and I think that Utah Public Radio and the experience that it gives students shows how significant the humanities and the social sciences are in contemporary culture. This is the pulse of contemporary life, what's going on, the communities we live in, the world at large, our our identities on all these different scales and the ability to communicate about those identities and the issues that we have and to reach a big audience and to do it artfully and to do it successfully and to do it compassionately. The fact that our students have something like Utah Public Radio here on campus where they can do internships, where they can get hands-on experience reaching out from Utah to the world with this radio station is incredible. And this is, Lynn, um, you said you were a student here at USU when you made that critical step from becoming a listener to becoming a member. Do you, do you recall what it was that, uh, because, you know, we, we understand it's a, it's a minority of, of people. <laughs> one one who, in ten, know, actually. One in ten. Oh, one in ten. man, let's improve on that, people. Yeah. Come on. So so what is it? What is it that, uh, that, that made you take that step? And then what were your feelings after you did that? You know, it, it was a slow seep, a, a process of osmosis. There was one day where I'm sure, as is the case now every day, Utah Public Radio had been on in the background from when I woke up until when I went to bed. It really is the soundtrack of my daily life. And It was a pledge drive, I'm sure, when I suddenly realized that there's almost no other type of media that is that saturating my own experiences. And I thought, one, it's incredible that I can have access to this every single day. And two, I need to do my part and give back to this to to be a bigger part of it than just a passive listener, to take that active engagement. And Tom, we've talked on shows about fandom before, that what makes someone a fan is not (laughs) passive listening. It's active engagement. It's taking that next step to be a part of this thing that, that you find valuable and worthwhile and with which you fill your day. And you do that with public radio by pledging, by offering money, by offering support, by offering time, in addition to offering your ears and, and your brain as an audience. So so I guess the difference between just uh, consuming something mm-hmm. and, and uh, becoming a cosplayer, right? You could, you could be a UPR cosplayer. <gasps> or fan fiction, right? Yes. Or oh. Fan fiction. You write your own fan fiction. <laughs> write your own <laughs> pledge drive fan fiction. Write a good ending. Oh write a good ending to this. <laughs> if there is UPR fan fiction out there, I have been missing out. <laughs> I want to read it. But absolutely, in lieu, perhaps, of cosplay and fan fiction, you can pledge by calling 1-800-826-1495, or if you're listening in the evening, upr.org. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll hear our final segment, which is one of my favorite segments from the year. Uh, we got to jump into the world of Jane Austen, which is it was a, it was a red-letter day for me, so we'll hear some of that, uh, uh, Ted, before we go to break. And I just want to say somebody else just called and pledged their support, so oh, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank 800-826-1495. you so much. Let's go to break, come back, we'll hear some Jane Austen. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau presenting the Cache Valley Foodie Trek, access to the National Forest, and live theater opportunities. More information available online at explorelogan.com. This is Ted Twinting, and I am a development officer with Utah Public Radio. Underwriting with UPR allows you and your business to capture the attention and ears of informed, educated, and savvy consumers across the state of Utah. To learn more about becoming a sponsor with UPR, call our development team at 435-797-3141. 
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, uh, alongside uh, Lynn McNeil, who's Assistant Professor of English in the Folklore Program, a frequent guest on Access Utah. We're happy she's able to come over to, from time to time. She's in studio now, uh, soliciting your support for Access Utah. And we have a, with us Development Officer uh, Ted Twending. Um, maybe just a, one, uh, one appeal here uh, from, from each of you, and then we'll jump into uh, some Jane Austen. Ted. I'd like to see a new member at $5 a month. That would just make me feel incredible that you're joining the 10%. 800-826-1495 or online at upr.org. Am I correct in thinking that that $5 a month pledge would get you one of these gorgeous notebooks? One of those shiny, beautiful oh, notebooks. do it. Today is the day. If you've been listening to the pledge drive, if you're listening during the pledge drive, you are the kind of person who needs to be donating to this radio station. Do it now while these notebooks are still here. And uh, the limited quantities, I believe, mm-hmm. so so take advantage of this, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. And especially if you're listening, the evening place to go is upr.org, upr.org. Let's jump now into some Pride and Prejudice. We've been doing a periodic series called Our Favorite Books. And uh, so this is basically an excuse to, to talk about some of our favorite things and, uh, again, play some clips from some movies. Of course, uh, Jane Austen's been adapted uh, all over the place in uh, movies and television. And so we uh, played some clips. Uh, later in this segment, you'll hear um, something from Persuasion. But uh, just to set this up, and we, we talked with um, um, two members of the English Department at USU, Brian McCuskey and Maddie Burkert. I uh, talked about uh, some facets of uh, Jane Austen. This is toward the end of, the, of our program. And uh, just to let you know, we just have heard a, at this point, we have just heard a uh, clip from Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is uh, incredible if you haven't seen that. Um, and uh, so then we start talking about this. This is an excerpt from our program on Jane Austen. So there's a lot going on there. Um, his daughters are trained for singing, dancing, and uh, fighting. Right? This is this is um, we we've not. You won't find this in the novels, right? So, but what's what's or will you? Oh, I think you will. Okay. Yeah, uh, battle-hardened young women abound in Austin. Mm-hmm. So uh, even even to keep talking about Elizabeth Bennet, because how can you not? Um, her her choice of of Darcy is not entirely uh, romantic. Uh, it is it is a practical choice, and she makes it clear that Pemberley, the estate he owns, is part of that decision. I think, in the kind of cutthroat competition um, to end up well off and and well married, they are all very battle hardened. Mm. And there's actually it's the same sort of thing. Where do you need to take a kind of uh, male action genre? and transplant it back onto Austin in order to get um, a male audience to appreciate her. Jane Austen is way ahead of us, as always. In, she's writing um, in, in another uh, piece she wrote when she was a teenager, a, a very short one-page novel called The Beautiful Cassandra. The, the Beautiful Cassandra runs away from home and basically wrecks havoc across London. Here's, I'll read you chapter the fourth. Don't worry, it's only one sentence long. Mm-hmm. She then proceeded to a pastry cook, where she devoured six ices, refused to pay for them, knocked down the pastry cook, and walked away. <laughs> so that kind of you know um, young women as action heroines is built into Austen from the very start. Mm. But again, you have to be a little bit patient and read between the lines to see uh, the action that's that's taking place. Mm-hmm. There's there's one of the things I love about Austen is there is a lot going on. But you do have to kind of read between the lines, and it's it's a little bit below the surface, um, which which can produce a, a a wonderful tension. Yes, and Austin weaves back and forth in her narrative voice between objectively reporting what's happening, and then seamlessly sliding into the minds of her characters and giving you their perceptions from their points of view. This is one of the things that's so fun uh, for us to teach about Austin is you learn to read both socially, the stuff that's happening, and psychologically, the thoughts and feelings of the characters. So we have a couple of passages to illustrate what we mean by that. But it yeah. does mean you have to yeah. pay attention. Right. Maddie has a good one. I know. Okay, let's hear yeah, this. Yeah, so um, this is a, a narrative technique that Austin is sometimes credited with having uh, invented, the free indirect style or free indirect discourse, which we kind of take for granted now in, in novels to the point where we almost can't see it happening. So, for example, uh, 
Mr. Darcy danced only once with Mrs. Hurst and once with Miss Bingley, declined being introduced to any other lady, and spent the rest of the evening in walking about the room, speaking occasionally to one of his own party. His character was decided. He was the proudest, most disagreeable man in the world, and everybody hoped he would never come there again. Mm-hmm. So it's an objective report mixed with uh, a subjective reflection of opinion, but that is given the kind of status of being in that um, third person style. So um, if a direct statement would be, I will stay here tomorrow, and an indirect statement would be, she said she would stay there the next day. um, This is like the equivalent of, well, they had another think coming if they didn't think she would stay here tomorrow as well. It's Mm. just blending the two. Mm. And there are no quotation marks in any of this. And so, as you said, Tom, you have to be very alert to what she's reporting uh, on the outside objectively and what she's, uh, the ways that she's allowing characters uh, to start speaking kind of in the text itself. Here's another example. This is also from Pride and Prejudice. It's right after Elizabeth has rejected Darcy and uh, is maybe already beginning to regret uh, this, this choice. The tumult of her mind was now painfully great. So there's Austin, right, just telling you something about Elizabeth. She knew not how to support herself and from actual weakness sat down and cried for half an hour, so a little more reporting. And then here you start to hear uh, Elizabeth's own voice. Her astonishment as she reflected on what had passed was increased by every review of it, that she should receive an offer of marriage from Mr. Darcy, that he should have been in love with her for so many months, so much in love as to wish to marry her in spite of all of the objections which had made him prevent his friends marrying her sister and which must appear at least with equal force in his own case was almost incredible. So there's, again, no quotation marks. You just slide into Elizabeth's mind there. And you inhabit it for a paragraph, and then you slide back out, and the story continues. Mm. And it gives us this feeling of of omnipotence, we th- or uh, omniscience. We think we know what all the characters are thinking, but she's very savvy, uses it very selectively. We don't get inside Darcy's head, really, you know. And you don't notice it until the end when you realize that you've never really known what he was thinking. So she's very selective about which characters heads she sort of drops into and out of um, to advance the narrative. And this is a part of her feminism, uh, even though it's a little early maybe to call it feminism in the sense that we mean. She is interested in representing for the first time women's thoughts and feelings, right? That it's not what the men think, right? We don't care what's going on in Mr. Darcy's head. We want to know what's going on in the minds of these young women. And again, that goes all the way back to her juvenilia, that same action uh, scene that I read you about the beautiful Cassandra. That novel ends with an equally short chapter. It goes like this. She returns home, by the way. She, she eventually you know, obeys the norms and goes home. She enters her, her house and was pressed to her mother's bosom by that worthy woman. Cassandra smiled and whispered to herself, this is a day well spent. And that moment of a woman whispering to herself and, you know, even asking the question, what do women whisper to themselves? What do they have going on in their minds? That is a radical way to end even a short novel like this one. But it's basically what Austin then spent the rest of her career looking at, Hmm. women whispering to themselves. What did, uh, this would be a good segue to ask this question, what did she mean in her time? Uh, I don't know how widely she was known. What did she mean in her time versus now well um she her some of her novels did meet with success on the market um not initially under her name um her popularity grew after her untimely death uh but she was also in her own time and in her own world and the novels often seem to be about this self-contained world of country estates, but they're very engaged with current events. Um, Mansfield Park is quite controversial for its invocation of the slave trade, and one of the characters owns a plantation. Um, Pride and Prejudice is very much in the context of the French Revolution and the concern about how do we, as the as British people, find a way to avoid having something like the French Revolution. That is, how do we keep strife between the classes under wraps and it's to come up with these elaborate social codes where people who are some version of middle class and people who are some version of upper class can uh, get together and have balls and tea parties together and intermarry uh, and not end up having that kind of class strife. So she's in her time, absolutely, and and engaged with the world beyond the country estates. Mm. 
which is more stuff you have to read between the lines to get because, of course, we don't have that kind of cultural context anymore when we're reading Austen. And so it's much easier to see just the romance plots of it and not to recognize that, you know, the history of England is at stake here in the marriage between Elizabeth and Darcy. If they don't get married, then the rising industrial middle class doesn't have a way of brokering power with the entrenched corrupt aristocracy. And if that doesn't happen, the guillotine is, you know, uh, uh, can't be far behind here. Mm -hmm. So when we teach Austin, that's one of the things that you have to kind of, you know, put in place around these novels to make them resonate historically as well as uh, as well as psychologically. Uh, we have, uh, I believe, Mary um, is Marion. Sorry, Marion is is on the line. Glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hi, thank you. Thanks for for taking the call. And what an enjoyable conversation about Jane Austen. I just had kind of a fun anecdote or example I wanted to share. I'm a fan of hers and inspired by her and by her books, but I also have a a close friend, a man who's a physicist. Um, He has kind of a a high-powered job in the government, um, kind of high-powered science, very manly guy who tells me that about every 10 years he reads Sense and Sensibility because he just finds uh, like strength and inspiration from the character of Eleanor Dashwood. And I just love what that says about him as an individual, but also about Jane Austen and her capacity to reach all kinds of people. I just—it's—it's it's just a fun conversation today, and I thought I'd add that anecdote. Oh, well, thank you, Marion. By the way, what's what's your favorite? Oh, for heaven's sakes! <laughs> it's been a long time since I've read them, but uh, but I return to Sense and Sensibility for some of the same reasons. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you. That 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 is a wonderful anecdote. Thanks for sharing. And I think yeah, that- thanks for the conversation. Yeah, I think that speaks to the way in which, in the end, if you really read Austen um, for more than nine minutes or or do something more than watch the wet t-shirt contest and the BBC production, that the point of view here becomes um, genderless in certain ways, that you, you stop caring who's what gender or even who's what class, that some of that melts away, and you're just deep into the psychology of human beings as they navigate their their uh, their social world, as they try to construct a stronger sense of self. So it doesn't surprise me at all that a, a really manly physicist would yeah. fi- uh, find something in Eleanor to, to build on. That's what I, I, I think I, I resonate with that. That's one of the things I love about Austin. She, she does have a good handle on psychology, especially the social interactions. It's, it's, the, it's the feelings behind those interactions. I think she's got it right. Uh, let's hear, before we uh, end here, we just have about three minutes left. Uh, we've spent the whole hour um, saying that it's not just the romance. but So this will kind of go against that a little bit. But I, I want to get this in. This is uh, a scene from Persuasion. And uh, this is near the end of the, of the book and the film. This is uh, Captain Wentworth. Uh, using what means he has, he writes a, a quick letter to Anne Elliot. Um, pouring his heart out. Let's hear this. Mom. I can listen no longer in silence. I must speak to you by such means as are within my reach. You pierce my soul. I am half agony, half hope. Tell me not that I am too late. That such precious feelings are gone forever. I offer I myself, myself to you again, again with a heart, heart even more your own than when you almost broke, broke it eight years and a half ago. ago. Dare not say that man forgets say. sooner than woman, that his love has an earlier I death. Have I have loved none but you. Unjust, Unjust I may have been. been. Weak and resentful I have been, been but never inconstant. You alone have brought me to Bath. For you alone, I think and plan. Have you not seen this? Can you fail to have understood my wishes? I had not waited even these ten days, but I have read your feelings. I must go, uncertain of my fate. I shall return or follow your party as soon as possible. A word, a word, a look will be enough to decide whether I enter your father's house this evening or never. Including Access Utah for today, that's a clip from Persuasion, 
of Jane Austen, a wonderful uh, book, of course, and uh, and a movie. Uh, I, I didn't uh, include this part, but I go on to say in that program, we heard an excerpt from our program of Jane Austen earlier this year, that uh, every man wishes he wrote that letter and every woman wishes he received it. And then Brian McCuskey said, I'd settle for receiving it. So I thought that was a nice, <laughs> <laughs> nice line. We had Brian McCuskey and Maddie Burkert on with us. We heard some clips from movies. Just an example, highlighting today some fun programs uh, where we kind of take a break from uh, heavy politics and such and uh, have, have some fun. Hope you've enjoyed the program today and uh, hope you'll take a moment right now while you're thinking about it and pledge your support in, in support of Access Utah. I love the opportunity to hear my colleagues be brilliant and entertaining and <laughs> informed. It's one of the, the things I like most about listening to Access Utah is that there are local people, whether they're from the university or the community or the outlying areas in the state of Utah, the other cities and towns that we have There are so many incredible resources in the state, and Utah Public Radio makes such good use of them in sharing them with all of us. Today is the day to pledge if you have not already. Call 1-800-826-1495 or visit upr.org. You know, on that, Lynn, uh, just looking at the list of people who have donated, and we just received another donation from Vernal, actually, so thank you. Thank you. But looking at the towns here, we have Vernal, Newton, Hyde Park, Providence, Smithfield, St. George, Logan, uh... East Carbon, Lewiston. I mean, this is a, a pretty disparate group of individuals, but we you know, we are all one big community. And as you mentioned, Access Utah is kind of like the kitchen table of Utah Public Radio. Oh, I love that. That's so, a good way to describe <laughs> it. Yeah, 800-826-1495 if uh, you want to you know, pony up on the kitchen table. And you can pick up the Utah Public Radio uh, Cafe Ibis mug at only $8 a month. So. Won't you pull up a chair uh, to come out to the chicken, uh, to the, not the chicken table, the kitchen table. <laughs> we can have chicken some days. <laughs> chicken table if you want. But uh, the number is 1-800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. If you're listening in the evening, uh, the place goes upr.org, upr.org. So I guess uh, final final appeals, uh, Lynn McNeil has been with us. Uh, she is assistant professor of English in the folklore uh, department and a frequent guest on Access U. So first of all, thanks for coming in periodically. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love getting a chance to talk with you. And uh, you're, I guess you're, you're a PO. Why should people pledge oh, to, people. to Access Utah? People should pledge because they're already a member of this community, and it is a good time, no time like the present, to take charge of that participation that you have. If you're listening to this now, you're already here. You're already a member of the UPR community. Put your money where your ears are and donate today. <laughs> and Ted. Um I just want to say thank you for starters. Before I even pitch, uh, just thank you for being a member of Utah Public Radio's community and for listening and for coming to our events and listening to our series and appreciating it. Um, and you know, Lynn, I I can't top what you said. If you're if you're listening right now during the pledge drive, you're a public radio junkie. I'm sorry to break it to you. Um, and just go ahead and join us. 800-826-1495. It doesn't have to be a, a huge amount. You know, even five dollars a month really really helps Utah Public Radio. We are a not for profit. Uh, we have to raise all of our own funds, and we maintain 36 transmitters and translators across the state. Uh, it is something that we all do. It is a labor of love, absolutely. But it does. Um, require some financial support. 800-826-1495. If you're listening in the evening, upr.org, upr.org. And uh, thank you so much to everyone who uh, listens regularly, those who support Access Utah. Big thank you uh, from all of us. And uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah. A statewide service of Utah State University's College of Humanities and Social Sciences. This is KUSR Logan, KUSUFM Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, Moab, KUST Price, KCEU, and streaming online at upr.org.